silence of our friends, the silence of our friends. Dr. King made a statement once in a speech, and uh, it gained traction with me. He made the statement, and I quote, In the end, what will be remembered will not be the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And so it becomes our plot and our plight to deal with issues where we have as a nation of people, number one, and then specifically relative to black and brown people, we have been silent aforetimes where we are called upon now to be vocal and never uh, silent again. Silence has a great cost and it has been very costly uh, for people of color. In the end, what will be remembered will not be the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. I contend that in this um, quest for racial equality here in these yet to be United States, there's something every person, every individual is called upon to do, um, both black and white, brown, uh, and everything in between. So we appreciate you. We air this program each Monday at 6.30, Central, 6:30 p.m. Central Time on the, our YouTube channel uh, designated The Silence of Our Friends, or you can type in my name. Please share the link. And uh, while we're here together, if you will subscribe, it costs you nothing, but it helps us to gain uh, better distance, if you will, on our YouTube channels. Subscribe, uh, press the notification button, and it'll help you to be notified as such each time we release um, each Monday evening when we release a live stream. Uh, I want to come to you tonight and deal with some... Uh, very disparaging concepts. Uh, whenever you're dealing with race, racism, uh, bigotry, um, Jim Crowism, and all of the like, uh, it's never an easy topic. And I am convinced that there are people, uh, a majority of people who are non-black, non-people uh, of color in these United States who <clears throat> are probably good people at heart. And for whatever reasons, they do not believe that they are racist or perhaps have racist ideals or perhaps have had racist um, experiences or have doled out racist actions or maybe even embrace racist thoughts. They think, I believe, <clears throat> that they are very balanced and equitable thinking people. But I want to challenge that tonight. I am, by way of the discovery of the preponderance of evidence, the discovery of the facts, I'm becoming more and more convinced of certain things. And so our program exists tonight <clears throat> both to uncover and discover the facts because I believe whoever controls the narrative controls the future. And um, people who have controlled the, the narrative, the truth concerning people of color in America and these yet to be United States, this, these disunited states have controlled the narrative of people because, again, history was recorded by the winners. Uh, those who are on the upside, the upswing of history recorded it because they were the intellectuals. They were um, the well compensated. They were the educated. And so um, they recorded history in America uh, as it pleased them and as it spoke to their um, benefit, as it made them look better. Uh, and then there were some intentional efforts that were contrived by way of controlling the narrative of history. Remember, I said it a moment ago, whoever controls the history controls the future by way of controlling the past. If you can control the past, you have a good chance of controlling the future. And these people, I believe, were very ingenious. <clears throat> Excuse me, the South lost, lost, lost. Did I say lost? Yes, lost, in fact, emphatically, um, the, the, the Civil War, otherwise known as the War Between the States, sometimes known as uh, the North versus the South. The North uh, represented the U.S. Army. It was the, the army or at least the militia, the military of the United States. So the South, those 13, 14 states uh, who were attempting to 
separate themselves from the United States as it was over racial issues, uh, over slavery, if you will, um, were fighting, were engaged in the fight. Think of this now, 14 states, uh, 13 at first, and then later uh, the 14th was added in this struggle that constituted the Civil War. And these people were fighting in the South, were fighting against America. The North was the United States Army. They were fighting against against, um, the United States for the propagation, the keeping of the enslavement, the idea and the concept of slavery in the South. Now, that's a big ideal. Uh, That's a big concept. And I want to each week chip away at pieces of this. Now, my purpose here is not to stir up uh, old wounds, reopened old wounds. My purpose here, there's some benefit in that, I'm sure. My purpose here is not to instigate uh, different, uh, maybe even controversial concepts, which would end in strife. That is not my purpose. My purpose here is not to instigate uh, and further cause divisive actions between racial groups or ethnicities and tension. Uh, that is not my purpose. My purpose here is to discover the truth, uncover it, deal with it, Because I believe in the history, the true history of these yet to be United States lies the reason for which we are still living in a bigoted, racist country. I do not believe that these facts, the real truth about slavery, black enslavement in America have ever been dealt with. Uh, in in a in a way that would would help white people understand the majority white people in the majority white country uh, understand the consequences of slavery and enslavement and the injustices what it means to be black uh, in America what it means to work while black drive while black shop while black attempt education, uh, extended education in institutions that are not black in America, what it means to uh, compete in America while black, so forth and the like. And people who have lived out a white experience in their privileged life, privileged by way of race, if not income, if not the combination of both, have no idea what these concepts mean and how deep they run and what all the realms are that they touch and tears they touch in these yet to be United States. I'm saying all that to lead into what I really want to talk about tonight. The show's topic tonight is, and I want to give it to you, and um, the dehumanizing of blacks in America. The dehumanizing of blacks in America. And um, I could use... um, Uh, another article and say a humanizing, but I wanted to talk about the humanizing because I think the dehumanizing of blacks in America, I believe it's a broad, broad umbrella that covers a lot of themes. And so uh, allow me to give you some research. First of all, I want to answer the question tonight, at least begin some footsteps in that direction. How do we change the narrative? How do we change the narrative? Definite article, the this specific narrative of how blacks, black and brown people are viewed in this country. How do we effectively change that narrative to a positive end? The narrative that black and brown people are unequal to their white counterparts. How the thought, if not spoken, it is a thought that is preserved in uh, many non-black people's mind, I think, in this country. Uh, We must know what the narrative is as well as the agendas um, to properly address this question of change. Uh, Allow me to give you two quotes and I'll give you three guesses at who made these quotes and the last two don't count. All right, here we go. It is better for us both, therefore, to be separated You and we, and this is a direct quote, you and we are different races. We have between us a broader difference that 
than exists between almost any other two races. In a word, we each, whether it is right or wrong, I need not discuss. But this, listen, physical difference is a great disadvantage to us both. As I think your race suffers very greatly, many of them by living among us, while ours suffer from your presence. Wow. In a word, we suffer on each side. I'll give you three guesses and, and I'll, I'll, I'll look at it in the comment section. The YouTube audience, please uh, guess on this one. And uh, the same holds true for our Facebook following right now. Um, well, there you have it. This quote was made in a speech by the great emancipator, as he is referred to himself, Abraham Lincoln, former president of the United States, the endorser of the Emancipation Proclamation. Well, before you alarm yourself, allow me to read one other quote. If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing same uh, by freeing, excuse me, some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. It was a conundrum. It was a paradox of thought. This statement was made also by former president Abraham Lincoln. You see, the consciousness of this country has long been that black people were, uh, were and are problems to American society, to the American way of life. In the Americas, please hear me, black and brown people were never considered equal citizens in these yet-to-be United States, nor equal with their white counterparts. The more I research, the more I have come to understand this was never intended to be the case that black and brown people would be equivalent equals in the human effect with their white counterparts. Now, both of these statements, if you think I'm making any of this up, both of these statements are recorded in the Library of Congress, the Library of Congress. You can do your own research. Uh, and so before I get to the gist of what we want, where we want to be tonight, uh, allow me to define for you. I think definitions are important. The word dehumanize or dehumanization, which refers to the process uh, to deprive of human qualities or attributes to deprive of human qualities or attributes. Another definition, divest of individuality to to di divest, to take away a an, an individual's um, difference from another individual to separate their individuality to make a a a racial group and ethnicity germane all right now the the idea was by broad acceptance of theories of evolution if you could see by uh charles darwin's research uh, which came along uh, uh, in that same time period so to speak if you could justify scientifically that the black and brown man evolved from a primate it made it more palatable that he was and would be your unprecedented unequal and so heinous acts were done to dehumanize, to take away the individuality, uh, such as color, such as hue of skin, such as uh, uh, hair type and texture, such as language and color. You see, this is why it became necessary when the, the first 20 to 30 slaves were brought to these uh, colonies, uh, the new colonies from Great Britain, which came and stole the uh, North American continent from the Native Americans. And in those colonies, uh, 20 to 30 slaves were brought about that same time in the early 1700s. 
And it had to be a concept at that point in time, because I've done the research here. Uh, I'm going to get ahead of myself and probably dig the deep, the ditch a bit deeper. But there are several words I want to add to our glossary today. Uh, let's see. I want to give you something. Yes. Uh, this ain't president of which I'm referring, um, to which I'm referring, President Abraham Lincoln, formerly freed enslaved people in the South with the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. So that actually ended slavery um, th through the Civil War, which waged on until 1865 approximately. Um, although it was not until the passage of the 13th Amendment in 1865 that was the official act that ended slavery, um, where slavery was, quote unquote, abolished. Uh, black slavery was abolished. It took on other names, other forms, but black slavery as it was, was abolished. So the slave trade was outlawed in 1807. Chattel slavery, I'm going to define that word in a minute, chattel, C-H-A-T-T-E-L, slavery, and the plantation economy uh, made possible uh, the, the profitability, if you will, of the South. It raised up the South. The 1860 census found that there were 3,900,000, listen to the numbers, 3,953,760 enslaved people in the United States in 1860 now. So nearly 4 million slaves in 1860 were in the United States, which made up roughly 13% of the total population. So after the abolition uh, of slavery in the United States, three constitutional amendments, and please stay with me, were passed to, to grant free, newly freed African Americans legal status. Legal status. We're here. We've built a country, but we need some help with as constitutional help uh, to be seen as equal humans in the eyes of our white counterparts who have been building a country off the backs of people of color because they were less, they were thought to be less than human. And it was easy to do when you dehumanize, you don't see someone as your, your, your opposite equal. Therefore it, it is easy to bring uh, malignant actions to into their lives, to separate families, so forth. I'm getting into that more in one moment's time. So these three constitutional amendments were passed to grant newly freed African-Americans legal status. They were the following. The 13th Amendment abolished slavery. You, we all need to know that. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States uh, abolished slavery. The 14th Amendment provided citizenship. Amazing. And the 15th Amendment guaranteed the right to vote. So 13th, 14th and 15th Amendments are very important in this country to black and brown people. All right. Now, so in spite of these amendments and civil rights acts to enforce the amendments between 1873 and 1883, 10 years, the Supreme Court handed down a series of decisions that virtually nullified the work of Congress during Reconstruction. Now, in the future show, we're going to deal with how black and brown people were positioned to function in that period after uh, slavery was abolished and it's uh, readily known as reconstruction and we're going to talk about that but it's a very very broad subject so we'll do that in a later show um, regarded by many as second class second class citizens blacks were separated from whites by law so separate but equal i'm getting to that in a minute and by private action in transportation public accommodations recreational recreational facilities prisons armed forces and schools in both northern and southern states in 1896 the supreme court sanctioned hear this legal separation of the races by its ruling in the ha plessy versus jh ferguson um suit which held that separate but equal facilities did not violate the u.s constitution's 14th amendment and this is another article from the library of congress so you can double check me on on all this 
So after the Civil War, the U.S. punctuated the fact that though free, with no reparations, in other words, we've, now we've freed the black slaves, but because we're in this process of de the continued dehumanizing of black and brown people, we'll free you, but you don't deserve to be compensated for your work in building up this country. You're not compensated by the giving of land, so you'll have a place to call your own, a place to live, uh, some investment that you can use in the banking system and participate in the banking system, not even tools. And there were, there were um, laws that were passed that even prevented people of color from planting, from learning to read, from planting, and things of that nature. We'll get into that in, in future shows. Blacks were not equal to their white counterparts. So every, every piece, every component, if you will, of black and brown people in America has, has, is laced with this inequity, with this dehumanization uh, process, with this uh, intentional and overt act and actions to make certain that people of color in the minds of the consensus are not equal with their white counterparts. Black and brown people in this country were never seen as equals. When the Constitution uses the word we, the pronoun we, they're not talking about black and brown people. They were talking about the other we, the white exclusive class or ethnicity. So America was founded. America was founded, and these are hard facts, on the theory of white supremacy. Therein lies the problem. You, uh, let's see, how can I do this? I remember uh, our ministry was building its first building. It cost 20 years ago nearly $2 million. It was a huge project for me. I never built anything to, of that scope, never even thought about it. And we've built several buildings since then, and we give God the Creator all the glory for that. But in building, I discovered something. There was a lot of emphasis placed on ground or site preparation. We spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on testing, uh, site preparation, and then the pouring of the footing, and then the footings rather, and then the foundation. So what I learned was that the foundation of a building and let's allow ourselves to use that as a metaphor. The foundation of a building or a life determines how high you can go with it. So the the higher you're going to go with a building or a life, the deeper the foundation must become. So you dig deep in order to correct um, problems that would uh, be associated with gravity. So you remember the, 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 the earth is round. And so if you lay a flat building on a round surface, this theoretically, follow me here, it could just slide off. There's nothing to secure it to the round um, uh, 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 sphere of the globe. And so you have something called footings and those footings anchor the foundation to the ground itself so that you can go as high as you need to go. This is the theory that operates in skyscrapers and skylines in cities. If you don't have a proper foundation, my point is uh, whatever's in the foundation of a thing, if you have foundational cracks, I built a house once and it was a very nice home and, but it had foundational problems and those foundational problems caused the windows to not be able to open doors, wouldn't close. Uh, there were separations in different parts of the house. It was a new home. We only lived there maybe four to five years because of the, um, egregious foundation challenges. Our country has foundational problems and the foundational chief problem, America's chief sin, America's chief crack in the foundation is that of the dehumanizing of black and brown people, never seeing humans of a different hue than that of whites as not polar opposites, but equals, equals. Never seen that. Um, there's a word. So, so let's stay on this vein. So America was founded on the theory and ideology 
of white supremacy. And so whether you hear it verbalized or not, whether uh, or, or whether people embrace it or whether it comes out in legislation or whether it comes out in church fellowships or whether it comes out in friendly associations or whether it comes out with you where your children are reared and how they're reared or whether it comes out on the playground in the sandbox or whether it comes out in Congress, this idiom, this ideology is, is, is woven into the foundation of our country. It was never, the country was never inclusive of black and brown people. That's why we're having all of the hiccups, uh, racial hiccups we're having, all of the tensions that are coming forth. Uh, Malcolm X said it well, the chickens. He said, I'm not surprised by what's happening. That was 50 years ago. He says, I'm, uh, a, farm, a farmer is never surprised when chickens come home to roost. That's a natural process. In other words, we're getting that which the country was built uh, upon, the foundation of the country was built upon. We're having the vestiges, the invisible leftovers, the, the thought process uh, that the country was founded upon. Now, I can't be the judge. Well, I can be, but I, maybe I won't tonight. But let's, let's, let's stick with the facts. White supremacy is, is really a compound word of sorts and it acts as a noun so it's a state of being it's a place that is generated by way of thoughts and it simply means the belief that white people constitute hear this a superior race superior to what or whom black and brown people nobody comes and says this but it's you run into it i, I was at a mall once and uh, I was in Macy's and I was purchasing something for my daughter. I was in I was in Atlanta and, you know, I'm thinking, OK, I'm not really paying attention to what's happening. The line is progressing. It's probably the end of the year. I was purchasing a coat or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. And this woman, uh, just as if I'm not standing there, I'm six, five, 200, about 235, 240 pounds. I'm not a small person. I mean, I don't probably look the 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 statue that I that I am, but I I am what I am. It is what it is. And this lady who is an Asian woman, but she, her complexion is lighter than mine. I'm going to show you something here. Steps right, and you know, Asians typically, and this is not a stereotypical statement. They're typically not very large people in any context, uh, latitudinally or longitudinally. Um, steps right in front of me. And uh, I, you know, always one of those days I just don't feel like it, right? And I'm saying, well, I'll just let it go. And it, the more she just walked right in front of me when I got up to the counter, I've been in a long line, right? Walk right up to the counter, she walked right in front of me. I said, Excuse me, ma'am, um, but I'm next. You see, silence embraces people's impure and improper thought processes. I'm not going to let people get by with certain things because the reason that certain contexts of thought have lasted as long as they have is because people have been too silent. And so I corrected her. I said, excuse me, ma'am, but I'm next. She said, oh, I didn't see you. I said, no, ma'am, you saw me. I said, because I'm impossible to miss. I said, I realize we have a difference in our statures, but I'm impossible to miss. You see, in her mindset, because her the melanin in her skin was less than the melanin, the, the coloration, colorization in my skin, hers was of a lighter content. Mine was obviously of a darker. She thought it, it because, you know, she's from Asia, but still she's better than me. And she doesn't need to wait in a long line behind a man of color. I wasn't silent. It, you know, I've let things like that go many times, but I, I, I'm understanding now, and this was years ago, but I'm understanding that th these, these actions are a result of programming, social programming, intentional social programming. Listen to this definition, the belief that white people constitute a superior race and should therefore dominate society. Don't you see that? 
Do you see that when it's time to uh, get a parking space? You were in front of a, your white counterpart, but because you're darker than they, they are justified in their white privilege that they should get the parking space, even though you were there about to turn into it, they'll almost run over you and your car and your precious little child because they don't mean much to them anyway. Uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. And take the space. It's a belief. And when whatever a person believes controls their actions, the belief that white people constitute a superior race and should therefore dominate society, typically to the exclusion or please hear this detriment of other racial and ethnic groups in particular, this definition said in particular black or Jewish people. Now I was amazed that they put the, the dark people from the dark mother continent <laughs> in front of our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters. All right. So now uh, here's an article article by Jeffrey Robinson. I, I don't think you all are getting tired of me. I hope you aren't. Uh, and his title is American Civil Civil Liberties Union Deputy Legal Director and Director of the Trone Center for Justice and Equality. I like to give that. I like to cite my findings because when you're dealing with controversial issues, you need to be as factual uh, as possible. And in his article entitled America Was Founded on White Supremacy. I was I was happy when I discovered this article because all of my research for years has been leading me down this thought process that I don't want to have. I don't want to believe. Uh, I, I've been suffering. Pray for you, boy. I've been suffering probably the last 20, 25 years of my life as I've embraced this quest to study black and brown people in America and their plight. I've been amazed that over the years, I, 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 a spirit of disgust has engulfed my life because I've realized that I've been handed lies historically, which I believed, embraced, touted, shared, because I like history. I believe one needs to know his own history. What I did not know was that the history I had been given and relied upon teachers to supply me has been sanitized, has been whitewashed, and had, has been spinned in the direction of the favorable direction of people that are not of color. And people that are of color historically, the truth, the facts that speak to our existence and speak to our contributions have been soiled and and washed away uh creations that have changed up these these americas uh, have come from dark hands and much of the credit has been given to their white counterparts because of the inability to qualify for patents and the money to put up for acquiring said patents uh, to document our creation and ingenuity. So the nation's founders, uh, America was founded on white supremacy. In an article, again, by Jeffrey Robinson, American Civil Liberties Union Deputy Legal Director and Director of the Trone Center for Justice and Equality. The nation's founders, he writes, lost my place, I'll find it back here in a minute. The nation's founders believed in white supremacy and they were not ashamed <laughs> to say so. The first slaves, and this is a direct quote, these are direct quotes from the article, uh, arrived here in 1619. So 1619, uh, shortly after the British colonies were set up, um, the, the Americas have gone on to their process and uh, the country is growing. 1692, uh, first slaves arrived here. Between 1619 and 1865, Virginia passed more than 130 slave, quote unquote, statutes to regulate the ownership of black people. Can you imagine this? 
1662 law made all children of enslaved mothers slaves, regardless of their father's race or status, so that rape by white slave masters couldn't create a free child. So when the plantation owner, the slave master went in and had his way with our historical black ancestors, female ancestors, and impregnated them, uh, the child didn't have the benefit of being free because he was born to a slave mother, the child now. So these people are intentional to dehumanize and keep black and brown people under their thumbs. You know, uh, let me finish the article. Okay. So getting back to the article, a 1662 law made all children of enslaved mothers slaves, regardless of the father's race or status, so that rape by white slave masters couldn't create a free child. A 1667 law codified that slaves who converted to Christianity were still slaves. I want to get in that so badly, but okay, continue with the article. A 1669 law allowed slaves to be killed for resisting authority. So it was legal to kill black slaves if they resisted authority because authorities often uh, came in, in contact with and had encounters with black people for unjust reasons. But if, the, if, a, if a homicide came as a result of it, this law said that's okay because it's just a black life. Now notice, an 18, excuse me, a 1669 law allowed slaves to be killed for resisting authority. The wording of the law regarding Christianity is revealing. It tells the true story. The slave masters would claim Christian piety in their acts of enslavement, whereas some doubts have risen whether children that are slaves by birth and by the charity and piety of their owners were made partakers of the blessed sacrament of baptism. So there's a question out there. I'll leave them there. Uh, should by virtue of their baptisms be made free. So they, they, they have this argument, okay? They're baptized into Christianity. So now do slavery and Christianity go together? This is way back in the 1600s. The conferring of baptism doth not after the condition of the person as to his bondage or freedom. That it was the, the finding of the law, that you could be baptized into Christianity, but that didn't make you free because you're still under white supremacy rules. Now, here's what I want you to get. You ready for this? The, I, I'm delving into the consciousness, the foundation of the fabric of our country and why it is black and brown people are still seen in such disparaging ways. It all being stirred up again by a great effort, um, nearly flawless effort by our current administration. Divisiveness and uh, divisiveness in some context, unparalleled and unprecedented. But from whence does all of this come? You ready for this? 40 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, uh, these new colonies uh, declaring their independence from Great Britain so that they can form and formulate these yet to be United States or the Americas, owned slaves. That means you had 56 signers of the American Constitution, U.S. Constitution, 40 leaving 16, 40 out of the 56 were while they're writing and signing off on the Declaration of Independence from England, they're going home and they're slave masters. They're slave masters and they're not nice slave masters. In order to be a slave master, and I'm going to get into it in just one moment's time, get ready for this. You have to be brutal. Brutal. Um, I think I have a quote, but anyway. So under the Constitution, a slave was counted as three-fifths of a free person. Ten of the first 12 presidents owned slaves. This is who we are as the United States became a nation. And this is taken from that same article. And he goes on to say a war fought for slavery. Research conducted by the Southern Poverty Law Center in 2017 shows that our schools, please hear this, 
our schools are failing. This is as far back as 2017 now, just a few years ago. Our schools are failing to teach the truth about African enslavement. I fell into that category. Only 8% of high school seniors surveyed can identify slavery as the central cause of the Civil War. I was in that category for years, probably nine-tenths of the years of my life, 90% uh, of my life. I only, uh, only came into this knowledge, and I've been on a quest to understand this inequity question of black and brown people versus the white populace of America since college, but only probably five years ago, based on research and continued study, did I nail down and drill down on the truth of the, of the matter that the Civil War, the, the, the war between the states, the North and the South, fought on American, uh, if my memory is correct, I believe it was the only war fought on American soil where countless thousands of lives were lost. Slaves were forced to fight in a war where they would never be freed by their white plantation owners. I never knew until maybe five years ago that the Civil War was about slavery. And that Civil War being about slavery was about economics. I was never taught that. It was sanitized and whitewashed. It made it sound like the Civil War was a disagreement between the North and the South. As simple as that. No class, no course I ever took, many of which uh, cost me, <laughs> were not free by way of a public education. And no one, no one told me. No book they uh, uh made available to me no i mean come on and it and it continues to it says only eight percent of high school seniors surveyed can identify slavery as the central cause of the civil war which it was two-thirds 68 percent do not know and for years i was in this category i'm disgusted to make that truth statement truthful statement and herein lies our root problems and causes. Two-thirds, 68% don't know that it took a constitutional amendment to formally end slavery. They have no idea because it this information is not being shared intentionally to keep to preserve the sanitation of history to make our white counterparts seem better than they were. So that if, if you're ignorant about the root causes, you'll never be able to understand why certain things exist. You know, there are several questions I raised last week. I'm going to get to them in just one moment's time. Notice this. Uh, fewer than one in four students, 22%, can correctly identify how provisions in the Constitution gave advantages to slaveholders. Have no knowledge. The truth is clear if we choose to see it. By 1860, American had, listen to this, four million black slaves. Listen to this now. Four million black slaves. This is the truth. My research indicates. Worth a total, get ready, wait for it. Worth a total of three billion in the currency of that day. In 1860, so uh, David Blight has written, uh, another researcher, that the total value of all slaves, this almost makes me weep. The whole argument and discussion has been economics versus the dehumanization of black and brown people. At the cost of dehumanizing black and brown people, I can profit, this nation can profit because they're not our equal human, uh, co-equal humans anyway. It's not a bad deal. Notice this. David Blight has written that the total of all slaves combined as property in 1860, listen to this, was greater than the value, than the value of every bank, factory, and railroad in the United States. 
In other words, in 1860, slavery, black slavery was such a big deal, such an economic bolstering of this country, the foundation of this country, the dehumanization of black and brown people, um, the, the throwing away, tossing away of black and countless black and brown lives was all at the cost of building up and profiting this nation. Slavery as an enterprise, these are my words, was greater than every bank, factory, and railroad combined. Combined. This is why the South was ready to secede, pull away from the Union, and where secession didn't work, they engaged in the Civil War. It was all about money. Notice this, another fact. Um, by 1860, America had 4 million slaves worth a total of 3 billion of the day's currency. As a result, there were more. And this is crazy. Here's another fact. There were more millionaires in the Mississippi Valley, one of today's poorest geographical area, eras, areas. But in that day, because slavery was such a commodity for these white slave owners, there were more millionaires in the Mississippi Valley than anywhere else in America. It's amazing. I've got to find a place to close. Uh, okay, let me go back. There's something I need to tell you. Let me let me backtrack just a minute. Let me backtrack. Just to put this better together. So, so then, dehumanization. I've defined that for you. You must dehumanize in order to control and demonstrate superiority. I think I've given you enough facts for that. Here's some questions that, that I generated in my mind. Why do this? Well, first of all, it's economic. So you dehumanize for um, the, the profiting of the country, the, prof, uh, uh, the lifting up the elevation of, of the Americas. But here's some other facts that I've uncovered. Firstly, why intentionally take away the idea of people of color being significant in all tiers of society after being kidnapped, made to work to their death, pillaged, whipped, mutilated, hanged, lynched, sold as chattel, families inseparably severed, killed, then liberated without resources? Well, here are a few points to consider. If our white counterparts did not sanitize history, if black people know the truth, then how powerful will they actually become? If we don't take away these narratives that are truth, we will not be able not to be able to control this ethnic group that we never saw as our counterparts in equality anyway. Secondly, what will their what will all the oppressors look like in their own eyes and in the eyes of the formerly oppressed? In other words, if I have not been able to control this ethnic group of black and brown people with all of these heinous acts that came as a result of slavery and these people still survive and thrive and they're still improving. And this is why during the period of Reconstruction, when you had more black millionaires and congresspersons and senators at that period after slavery where a historically black uh, colleges and universities were built and then you had attacks of terrorism from the U.S. government to wipe out entire communities. And we're going to do a show on that because they understood that once people understand history, their humanity, their understanding that God has redeemed them. The word deem as the root means thing to operate as it intentionally was scheduled to operate by the creator when you uh, place the prefix re in front of it it means to carry that thing back before any damage was done to it ever at all and so there are people there is a mindset a prevailing mindset that silence causes to continue to exist and that being vocal and verbal and take and taking a position with overt wrongs forces back 
another question. What will these people begin seeking for just compensation for these heinous wrongdoings? In other words, if we if we don't control the narrative, they may seek justly deserved compensations in the form of reparations. And then will that race become? What will their successor generations become to our successors? Hmm. How will they stay, quote unquote, in their places of confinement financially, educationally, athletically, politically, morally, socially, and on all levels of entertainment? <clears throat> How much will this country owe them for their stolen inventions, for their reparations, uh, restitutions? The black and brown vote, how will it affect our future? Will it jeopardize the, the, the framers and founders and their successor generations? Will it, how will it affect the globe, or particularly these, this country, the United States? All of this was intentional to protect and preserve the concept that people of color were never to be considered equal with their white counterparts in this country. This it is for these reasons that we cannot be silent. I thought of a song, and this the 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 writer of the song is a man by the name of Woody Guthrie. He pins this song, I think, nineteen forty four, and the this land is my land. Uh, this land is your land. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me, not us. We And, and I'm only dealing with some fabrics that have been laid in this country that I learned this song, man. They taught us this song in the second grade. And you, you, while you start thinking about it, you think back and you're like, well, wait a minute. Uh, this, this, this couldn't have, have had us in mind. So lynching, how can you lynch until you dehumanize? And then the reciprocal is true. You dehumanize in order to lynch and lynch in order to dehumanize. It's a perfect, you couldn't. You couldn't lynch, and, and you, you do, um, do your research, do your homework, and you'll find that there are people, there were people who took their lunches, uh, people who got off work, uh, photographs were taken, and white people, all the way down to little children, cheering to see black people lynched in public lynchings. The reason for that was it passed this notion down these people are not our, our equals. So that hundreds of years later, 100 years later, 50 years later, because lynching was not outlawed uh, until the 1930s. And I'm sure, watch my face and read my lips, I'm certain that it carried on in back streets. And, you know, we've had various pop-ups of this uh, heinous act even to this day. If you were equal, if you saw a human being as an equal person, you couldn't lynch them. It's such an atrocious action. Uh, lynchings of black people rose in the number after the American Civil War. Mm, I have to do a show on that. During Reconstruction. Mm, Reconstruction, black people were being elevated. White people were thinking about the former power they had. Uh, the former ability to use them as slaves. Uh, most lynchings were of African-American men in the Southern United States, but women and non-blacks were also lynched. I said it was heinous. Not always in the South. The purpose was to enforce, here it comes again, this mindset of white supremacy and intimidate black people through racial terrorism. On April 26, 2018, in Montgomery, Alabama, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice opened, founded, opened, founded by the Equal Justice Initiative of that city. It is the first large memorial to document lynchings of African Americans in the United States. Uh, we took our church there 
uh, member of our church is was on the committee that uh, founded this and did all the research. It's a, it's a marvelous place. We took nearly 200 people to the American Institution of uh, the Smithsonian uh, in Washington, D.C. We took another number here a year or so ago, maybe. And it was amazing to me, eye-opening to me to see the reason for which people of color were lynched. Um, it would be money well spent for you to take that opportunity because people of color were seen as chattel. I promise to define this word, C-H-A-T-T-E-L. It literally, my definition, nothing but property. A professional definition, a more academic definition, not human, a slave, a movable article of personal property. That was the mindset that this country upon which this country was founded, that black people were chattel, nothing but owned property. That, that mindset has teared down to this day. It, it's, 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 it's in our society currently. People of color cannot be silent in issues of injustice in the church, in schools, on the street, highways, byways, so forth and so on, because our history has been kidnapped uh, and it must be recaptured by those who lived in the negative slope and throes of history. I close with this. Based on historian Eric Hobbs Bawam, H-O-B-S-B-A-W-A-M, Hobbs Bawam, I believe it is the correct pronunciation. At the time of the Civil War, here was the impact of slavery. This is why the hatred, the malicious acts run so deeply. This is this, these numbers will bear out why this country was so attached to the dehumanization of people of color. Cotton in America, not just southern states, in America represented 59% of U.S. imports. So nearly 60% of everything that was imported from this country had to do with cotton and that's why they said cotton was king and this is why people black and brown people were stolen from Africa to come to this country but listen it gets deeper I need to wrap this up in 1790 1 1.5 million pounds of cotton were imported 1790 by 1859 2.25 billion pounds of cotton were being imported. That's why they fought. 1.5 million in 1790. And by the time 1859 rolled around, 2.25, two and a quarter billion with a capital B. 1860 market value of black slaves. In 1860, remember, the Civil War came to a head in 1863. By 1865, the uh, signing of the Emancipation and the 13th Amendment went into play. The market value of black slaves was greater than banks, railroads, and factories combined. I've given you that. The here's the economic impact following by historian Walter Johnson. We didn't want to let the black slaves go because we didn't see them as our equals in the first place. But not seeing them as our equals allowed us to enslave them and enslaving them allowed us to prosper. And we left them out of the society. Now, hundreds of years later. The forebears of this kind of degenerate thinking are on the planet with nothing left from their ancestors' work. While yet our counterparts, 
are still prospering. We have to do something about that. And we can't attack it until we know where the truth lies. Here it is. Here are the economic impacts. According to historian Walter Johnson, and I close with this. Loans were given on slave purchases and the loans carried interest. I didn't know that. So now you can see the vehement thought process. I hope I, I'm making this clear. So they were profiting because slaves had a cost. And if a slave owner uh, didn't have the appropriate funds, he can go to the bank and make a loan to purchase black slaves. But this loan had to be paid back with interest. So now both the banking system, the U.S. government profits, it goes further. Insurance policies for slaves who who died accidental deaths. That's right. In air quotes. Be, they were insured to protect a loss of profit, all economics. Forget the life. They weren't seen as lives from the time they were transported by the uh, by way of slave ships that brought them from Africa through the Middle Passage, the Atlantic Ocean. If you if you can just do the research and see how they were packed into the ships, it was all about economy at the cost of the dehumanizing of black and brown people. We've never been seen as people of value and we have to do something about that in this. And this is the reason we cannot be silent. We have to give value to people who have been devalued. And finally, the, 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 the purchase of slavery of slaves was, was taxed. In other words, just like buying a car, you pay a certain exercise tax to be able to purchase that vehicle, just like purchasing a pack of uh, whatever. And the government benefits from that taxation. So it was with black and brown bodies. I've come to the end of this episode and um, I I'll say this to you. I'll say this to you. We can no longer be silent because silence is compromise. Silence is compromise. We can no longer be silent because silence is complicity to erroneous patterns of thought and perception. If I'm silent, I'm co-signing with erroneous thought processes. And finally, we cannot be silenced because silence is agreeing with sanitized history and co-signing with control over a person's individual talents and abilities given them. We have been redeemed and taken back to the place that the creator intended. So people, I commend you to never be silent again. And let's look forward to our position by way of a lack of misbehavior. Our, our misbehavior contributes one of the reasons and I, I i have to close one of the reasons that i will carry myself in a certain way is because i will not validate inferior thought processes about my personhood and my ability one of the reasons i'll use the verbiage that i use and will educate my mind is because i realize there's an oppressive factor a demographic who believes that people of color are not their cerebral equal. One of the reasons I will not conduct myself in a certain negative light in public or private for that matter, as best I can help it is because I will not validate certain inferior thought processes about people of color. Uh, we have a school and uh, often on both campuses, I'll, I'll have an opportunity to interact with young men who, who are going through that growth process and finding their maleness uh, and as it interfaces with manhood. And, and I'll have to show them when you fight among yourselves and when your uh, application to your upbringing, proper upbringing, nurturing and education is not what it, sh not what it should be, you are being silent to oppressive thoughts that said you couldn't anyway. One of the reasons I refuse, I absolutely refuse 
to fall into the thought processes of my white counterparts who have oppressive thoughts is because I, my behavior can become my silence. My misbehavior can become my silence, validating them to think a certain thing about me. And I'm going to do everything in my power to not be silent, both by my words and by my actions. Until next week at the 6.30 p.m. Central Time, thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing the link with your friends. Thank you for helping us build the channel. And until the next time, remember, we can never be silent again. Thank you for your viewership. We appreciate you.